there's so many agencies that that do a lot of e-commerce that just uh, are starting to realize that it would be good to have a Webflow branch for marketing sites, that they don't have big Webflow teams yet. So now is definitely the time to talk to agencies and, and kind of be there as one of their main Webflow devs, which is kind of where I've positioned myself with uh, with the specific agencies that I work with. Hello, and welcome to episode 19 of Webflow, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the greatest failures behind the greatest Webflowers, because success often comes after learning from many failures. I'm your host, Jack Redley, a failure connoisseur, and today my guest is Maggie Monceau. Maggie is the web designer and developer behind East Hood Studio based in Toronto. She's also the co-founder of No Code North, an inclusive community of Canadian web flowers and no-code enthusiasts. Today, Maggie covers three failures, failing to find the right niche or focus on the right type of work, failing to say no more often and be more selective, failing to figure out her processes early on for design and dev work. So embrace and learn from failure in episode 19 of Webflail with Maggie Monceau. Maggie, it is an honor to have you here today. It's really nice being here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so after digging into your background and your IMDB profile, so you worked in film since 2009 and then started your studio in 2018. Mm-hmm. So why did you decide to leave film behind to start your studio? Well, uh, working in film was really fun and I think a great career, get great 10-year career in my 20s. And it was extremely creative. But there's some dark sides of working in film that you don't really see from the outside. And um, I was kind of I was kind of done. There's, um, it can be a little bit dangerous sometimes. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on the crew when you're in film to work for pretty much 15 hours, five days a week. Yeah, it's, it's just kind of dangerous, actually. And people don't really talk about that aspect of film. And it's all about getting the amount of scenes that you're supposed to get that day at the expense of the crew sometimes. Like, I, I've done some things that I look back at thinking, oh, I could have died that day. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's really fun, but you can really feel that the producers are being pressured by the investors to get the work done. And if you're at the bottom of the ladder being, I don't know, in props or anything, you just expendable. And I was kind of feeling that too much at the end of my 10 years in, in props. So it was, I was ready to move on. Wow. So there's a lot of pros and cons to to being in that kind of job. And so you started your studio. You obviously have a creative eye and you really enjoy interacting with people. I guess that's part of it as well. But when did working in your studio come into your life and, and how did that come about? So I had been prepping my exit from the film business for a few years. And one thing I did at some point, I, I went to Montreal uh, for three months and took a kind of like an accelerated course in design, thinking that graphic design would be my way out. As part of those three months, there was one small class about HTML and CSS and web design in general. And the the professor was great and his sense of design was amazing and I just, I, I loved it. And out of all the, the graphic design stuff I did there, I think that was probably my favorite class. So that's where the, the idea first came into my brain to maybe do web design instead of graphic design. 
And um, I'm really glad I did because I think, especially with Webflow, you can really make a good career out of this. Well, I feel like I would still be struggling trying to be a, a successful graphic designer if that's the route that I had chosen. And then you found Webflow shortly after this course, did you? And that's kind of how how the agency started. Um, not shortly after this course. I was still working in film for maybe a couple of years after that. And then I had my first baby. And while Matt leave doing nothing, that's when I found Webflow. At first, I was trying with my little CSS and HTML skills and no JavaScript to do online these big ideas I had that involved a lot of animations. And I realize now that's all the stuff that you can do with Webflow. I was trying to do it by myself with without Webflow. And then I found Webflow. And yeah, it, it did change a lot of things. It made all of that possible. Started Eastwood Studio, to be honest, thinking that I would become an agency later and start hiring people. And the more I am doing this, the more I actually would love to just stay small and realize that I wish I marketed myself as a freelancer right off the bat. But now that I've had this Eastwood Studio business for a while, and that's how people recognize me in the community, I don't know if I can change. Because I don't, I, I I don't want to be an agency. I like being a small entrepreneur and the freedom that comes with it. Interesting. And so you told me on Twitter that you are doing white labeling for other agencies. Is that kind of how you want to continue um, working in the future? I I don't know long term, but for now, that's definitely one great way to really work sustainably and have a good income. Mm-hmm. And do creative things because I find often agencies have great designers too. And like in my case right now, since I had a, a, a baby recently, so take care of the baby at the same time rather than, and, and it's also rather than in the past, I was kind of struggling finding clients. This is such a great way to not have to do that. I feel like when you're a solopreneur, if you want to call it that, there's two paths. There is the white labeling dev only work, which is great it's a little less work than trying to find your clients and it's um, very fulfilling or there's, you know, the, the grace walker away, do it all and still stay small, which is incredible. I'm really looking forward to asking her about it next week. It's, I think it's awesome. But uh, to me, it's the two paths you have. Yeah. I love this approach of um, white labeling for agencies. Cause I think a lot of the time people think, okay, I'm a freelancer. How do I get clients? Mm-hmm. And actually, another approach is agencies already have clients and they might have overflow work. So instead of having consistent income from different clients, mm-hmm. why not just have two or three agencies that you've partnered with and you just work for them? And, you know, maybe you have an agreement to put that work in your portfolio. Maybe you're just white labeling, but either way, you have the freedom and flexibility that a lot of people want in the Webflow space. So it's kind of by the by that it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I love it. And then if you've been with one in particular for a long enough time, because they still have a bunch of uh, different, they, they have a few devs, you're not the only one. Uh, you can even tell them when you're not available as well. And I, it's just, uh, it's also... It, I find there's more freedom in this than doing it all because like once the work is done, it's off your hands. Well, when you have your own clients, often 
you're still on the same project for a very long time and you're still doing the maintenance later and when you're doing dev only you can you I feel like you can you know just clock out and at the end of the project really clock out so let's dig into to your failures then these are really fascinating failures uh, we haven't had these yet so tell me about failure number 1 failing to find the right niche or focus on the right type of work yeah so when i started uh when i decided i wanted to be a, a freelance web developer or even a small studio a friend of mine who owns an agency was giving me some advice. And that was the main advice he gave me is find your niche because that's what he did and it worked really well for him. And because I was just uh, straight out of film, I figured I know that industry really well. That's what I'm going to, that will be my niche. And uh, I started uh, getting in touch with producers and um, mainly the people that were that that needed websites uh, that I, that were getting in touch with me were documentary producers. So it was great because I got to build websites for real clients and um, really get some experience in. But they it turns out documentary producers don't have a lot of money, so they were always asking for websites for like nine hundred to fifteen hundred dollars, and I would spend three months on it and be very broke. So uh, that was the wrong niche. I think what I didn't understand is that your niche doesn't necessarily have to be an industry because eventually the niche turns out was actually Webflow development itself. And once I understood that, I, I finally started making money and, uh, and, and made this job sustainable as opposed to going deeply in debt. <laughs> That's crazy. So... Do you think that there's too much emphasis on niching in the Webflow space? Because a lot of people seem to give contradictory advice about this. Some people like Ran Segal from Flux Academy is like, if you are the like retail niche or you're the e-commerce niche or whatever, while other people just say, well, Webflow in itself is a niche. Like, you can just be a Webflow developer, and that is niching down. What do you, What do you think about that? It's not necessarily a bad advice, but it takes a long time, I think, to be recognized for the niche that you that you've picked. So it can really bring you down at first because you, I mean, maybe people are are faster at figuring out their niche and getting the clients than I am. Um, but it, yeah, it was a little bit. Uh, it, it didn't work as fast as I thought. And uh, first, I, I thought it was bad advice at first. And um, yeah, until but then again, Webflow is a niche too. It's just, it's just not an industry. It's a type of work that you do. So mm. it's not bad advice, but I wish like my, I guess my failure was not to figure out right away what was the proper, the, the proper thing to niche in. And then again, it was kind of a necessary failure because I didn't have the experience to to be a Webflow dev like contract. Um, I, I, I did after a few years, but I kind of needed to have the wrong niche, do all those websites for no money and get all that experience and to, to have the level to be hired as a Webflow developer eventually. Yeah. I think though that like, you need time to work out your processes and, and all of that. And that comes over time. And to, to straight away land on a niche that you're like, yes, I can get clients. If you get a, if you get loads of clients from niching down suddenly, 
great. But then you've actually got to fulfill those clients. And if you haven't actually had that experience, then it might not be that helpful. So I think there is a kind of period of working things out. Like I remember I was a sustainable company web designer, mm-hmm. uh, whatever that means. I mean, I got the randomest gigs. And then and then I tried to be a yoga instructor web designer, which was even worse. So yeah, just by doing Webflow, you are kind of in a niche in itself, especially if you approach agencies and say, hey, I could uh, do freelance dev for you. And, you know, if they're a Webflow agency, then likely it is they've got overflow work. I think the niche can be can be more general. I think when people think of, of a niche, they think of, yeah, a specific industry. But uh, but the when you work for an agency, like I guess the niche is often e-commerce, and the the websites you do can be so random. Uh, yeah, so there's some weird things that you do a marketing site for that are completely different from one another. It can be uh, yeah, it can it can be like a pacemaker and then a phone company and a, you yeah. know. So, but the niche itself is either webflow marketing sites or e-commerce. And um, yeah, it doesn't have to be a specific industry. Yeah, I think it's great if you, you know, learn Webflow and you can get freelance agency work or even get hired for an agency as in a full-time position. And you're going to be exposed to so many different industries, e-commerce sites, landing pages, all sorts of different stuff. And that is kind of where you can work out which type of clients do you like working on? Which type of websites do you like working on? Are you particularly interested in SEO or animation or whatever? So, um, yeah, I think that's a really, really good um, bit of advice there. To Instead of trying to find the right niche straight away, maybe just do different projects and the niche will find you to a certain extent. Tell me about failure number two, then failing to say no more often and be more selective. Well, that one I was thinking about, I think it's a necessary failure that a lot of freelancers get get through is uh, when you start out, there's, there might be a year or two or more, depending what your situation is, of just taking anything because you need the money. And I did take everything, even if the website was like a $900 website. And it was it was uh, it was brutal, and uh, we really went in debt at that time of my this new career because uh, I just took everything, put a ton of effort into it, and worked on it like it was a five or ten grand website. And uh, because of that, I didn't I did I only had time for so many projects, and that was that was a failure that we i think we all go through but we also need because they that that's that's how you learn i learned a lot from not saying no enough taking everything taking the wrong projects and now i can see red flags a lot more easily because mm. i've gone through them and i think sometimes when you when you say yes you don't realize that you're actually saying no to other things that might be just around the corner that you you've already closed off by saying yes to this this project that yeah. um, you know you've you've agreed to do you have any advice for any web flowers that are starting out about red flags what is a ridiculously low price when you're starting out and how can you tell whether you should accept the project or not yeah so i think it's unfortunately if you're a freelancer and this story part of the journey is to take on those jobs that are uh, really low pay and have big red flags uh, main reasons is you don't know that they have big red flags. 
So you do need to work on those and and experience the the, the red flags and and to know later on bigger jobs with more money what's going to work, what's not going to work, what not to do, what clients not to take. But I used to say yes to all the projects that were coming my way because there weren't that many. I didn't have much of a choice. So if the website was 900 bucks and I was going to work on it for three months to make it look great, uh, I, I would take it. And uh, it, it usually involves a lot of scope creep because you at the time I didn't know how to really define the scope and yeah it was it was pretty brutal and we we went badly in debt at that time because of that but I've learned a lot it's very valuable and I almost recommend that you go through that failure as a when you start out because y'all y'all make that mistake once with a client you never make it again tell me about failure number three Failing to figure out your processes early on for your design and dev work. So, yeah, I, I had this client that's been a longtime client. And um, he was one of those clients that was asking for a very cheap website, but I didn't have a choice. So I took him on and I ended up working for for him for years, doing everything that he needed, graphics, uh, anything that kind of. Um, yeah, anything he needed. And when I did his first website, I remember I just did, did like a full design for him and didn't realize that you it was so important to start with the content map then then or, or the site map and then a wireframe. And then once that's all approved, uh, moving on to the design, but also doing a, a mood board and going through different styles and all of that. So I did because I always wanted to do things that were um, stylistically advanced. I did this really complex design, brought it to him, and he was like, "Ah, yeah, I don't like it. Can can you give me another option?" So I did the second one and the third one, and that was awful. It was like so much work, and uh, yeah, that was one of those those failures that taught me a lot. And then now I know that you, the why the process is so important. Yeah. If there's anyone that's watching who's not necessarily like done or figured out what that process is or whatever, definitely, definitely advise. And I was exactly the same, Maggie. I used to design like the whole website and be like, ta-da, it's here. <laughs> and the client's like, yeah, it's not what I wanted. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. So yeah, definitely doing lo-fi wireframes, just a box with some text like lorem ipsum and just kind of figure out the layout and then once the client's on board with that then you can kind of go from there yeah because otherwise it can get just an insane amount of work and yeah. unpaid hours yeah. if the client doesn't know what you're up to and mood boards and stylescapes if if you can yeah just to really be on the same page with the style as well before you get into design is so important and what do you do if a, a client doesn't have a very strong brand identity or they or they do that really annoying thing where they're like yeah so um we just want our website done we don't really want any of the branding changed but we, mm. we just like it freshened up you know just to refresh it how how would you uh like approach that because ultimately what they're really saying is we'd like you to have another look at the brand identity mm -hmm. and the website how would you cope with that so I feel like that's a classic red flag. So I just make sure that's super clear from the time that I 
send the estimate. I, I just, uh, before sending an estimate, I asked a lot of questions and that's one of the, that's one of the big ones too. Do you have an existing brand guideline somewhere? Do you need one? Do you not need one? If, uh, and since that's been talked about from the start, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about expectations right away and say, if you don't, if you don't need one, you don't want one, we'll keep it simple. I might, what I usually do is I do like a minimal thing and just pick fonts and colors for them. Uh, but I'm not going to go in detail and I make sure that, that, that expectation is set right away. But yeah, and that's, that's the part of figuring out your process that I feel like I wish I had back then is those, you, you go step by step, make sure that things are approved before you move on to the next one. And mm-hmm. that's one of them that those uh, figure on the, the, the scope, agreeing to the scope before you move on to the next bit is a big one. Yeah, and getting things signed off as well. Like mm-hmm. not just before the client call, like, be- sorry, before agreeing on um, project scope, you know, working out, are you going to be doing a brand identity? If you're not doing a brand identity, then you are going to expect a very, very simple brand refresh or whatever they want. But then also, you know, after you've done the brand identity, sign off. After you've got the copy, sign off like yeah. at each stage so that you can say, look, we can't change this because we've already signed it off. That's done. And any more changes are going to be extra hours on top because otherwise scope creep kind of like one of those, you know, those ivies that come up trees and mm-hmm. like just kill kill the tree yeah i think it's called like killing ivy my mum was talking about it the other day she's really good at gardening but anyway (laughs) kind of like that okay so you talked about the design and dev process but for anyone that is in webflow and they're like i don't really know what my process should be can you give a little bit of an insight into how it works working with agencies because do agencies just provide the Figma file and then they say you can build it and you can build it with whatever build system you use, your class naming system, or how, how does that work with agencies? Well, you know, something that's kind of interesting is that there's a bunch of agencies, including partner agencies. The one I work with uh, is a partner agency that are still kind of new to Webflow and they're, and they're so um, they used to do a lot of e-commerce, not with Webflow, and are now realizing there's a big market for, for marketing sites and Webflow that they are not yet fully aware of the best practices with Webflow. So sometimes they'll come to me and ask, now, now I start to see that they'll ask for a client first build. Um, but uh, in the past, they haven't always so it's uh, it's almost like up to me to tell them this is the best best method for this. Like we'll do in client first with a style guide in the in the in the project. And so yeah, but a build would usually go, always go the same way. Like they'll they'll send us the Figma file. Hopefully, some people will send you like a Photoshop file, and that's horrible. Before. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But usually Figma file, and they're even now they're even doing their style guide with that uh, client first um, template that's out there. So that's making everything a lot easier. And then just the regular way, you start with your style guide, you build uh, your components, and your your symbols, components now. And at the end, a lot of them work in Jira. So you'll get your tickets and go through tickets until you're ready to launch. And are you working with like, two or three different agencies because I'm just intrigued because a lot of people have asked me 
how do you freelance for agencies? I think it kind of depends on how your, what your relationship is. If you've got one agency that's consistently giving you work, mm-hmm. maybe you only need to work with one agency, but how are you yeah. doing it? Right now I'm just working with the one. And there's, there's so many agencies that, that do a lot of e-commerce that just uh, are starting to realize that it would be good to have a Webflow branch for marketing sites, that they don't have big Webflow teams yet. So now is definitely the time to, to talk to agencies and, and kind of be there as one of their main Webflow devs, which is kind of where I've positioned myself with, uh, with a specific agency that I work with. And because of that, they don't have a big roster. So you do get a lot of work. You can just work with the one and that's enough. And uh, especially right now, I'm also taking care of an infant. So the yeah, so the one agency is enough for me. Yeah. And it's great that you have a really good relationship with them. They keep giving mm-hmm. you work, but they also recognize that, you know, you're a freelancer. So you can turn down projects if there's too much on, which is awesome. So the final question for you, Maggie, is a bit harder. What do you think your next failure is going to be? Oh, you know what? I feel like I know. It's doing too much volunteer work. Oh, I really? feel like I'm headed towards a heart attack right now. <laughs> like, oh, no. I, I mean, it's not really a failure. It's so much fun. It's so hard. Like, I know it's happening, but I can't stop. It's like an addiction. But I, so I just had a baby three months ago and I, in Canada, you can take up to actually up to 18 months, but a lot of women take a year. And I said that I was going to for sure take two months off. And two weeks after I was back at it because um, the agency was sending me some really cool builds. I didn't want to lose, like, since I'm on such a good track with them, I didn't want to lose it. But also my work with No Code North is really fun and I I, I, I don't want to stop it and and there's um, so many community community leaders that are doing fun things that I always want to help out um, that I, I just I always jump at the, the possibility to help them and put so much so much work on my plate um, so like right now I have uh, my regular work with that agency um, I have one big build to do. I have another client uh, that through my own um, studio. I have this little three-month-old baby that I'm taking care of at the same time. I'm still working on the No Good North website. Um, I'm working on Hillary Cluet is doing a, um, a new community thing she's working on called uh, Salon des Refusés. I'm doing the branding and the website for that. And the Floxies want to do this cool event uh, with joint, like with different communities coming together to to uh, to work on it. So that's another one that's upcoming. And um, yeah, it's a lot of hours to find in my day, and I might be headed towards a heart attack soon. So maybe the next interview I do with someone else will be from the hospital room. <laughs> but yeah. Thanks for listening to episode 19 of Webflow with Maggie Monceau. The part of this episode that really stands out to me is Maggie's choice to work for different agencies as a freelancer. It gives her autonomy to work when she wants. Since she has a three-month-year-old baby, this is really important. She doesn't have to get on client calls, but just facilitates the actual dev work. And she gets to build incredible figma designs from talented agency designers. 
Most people think freelancing means working for yourself and your own clients as a result. But remember, you can freelance for other agencies, as Maggie points out in this episode. This also links nicely to what Yaya said in last week's episode. If agencies want to work with the most talented people in the space, you need to understand how talented people like Maggie want to work as a freelancer. Next week, I'll be interviewing Hamish Duncan from Penny Black Agency. Until next week, web playlists, 